our joy to hopefully have you experience real church, because real church is not here, it's actually out there. It is actually what we do in the breakout area. That's real church, isn't it? That is where I find out that uh, my brother Paul laid down his motorcycle and uh, lived to walk away with it again. That's where I got to meet uh, one of my dear sisters and her husband again, Pauline and Mark, and they're visiting with us this morning. And I get to see you as well. Actually, I'd like a few more light, lights in the house if I could so I can see you. And if you are visiting with us for the first time, you are in the middle of a series. In fact, our last week on this series on the shack will be next week. And one of the questions that's asked in the book is quite, to me, a disturbing question. Most of the questions have been quite disturbing uh, from the shack. But where is God in the church? Because sometimes when you look at the church, what you see is uh, not very Christian, is it? Sometimes you see small-mindedness, hypocrisy, legalism. A Christian in America is known by Gallup Poll as someone who's uh, judgmental, hypocritical and homophobic. I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to be known about. And yes, I love praise. I love what we do. I love it. I love it. I love it. But still not the same as God himself. So we're going to ask that question next week. Where is God in the church? And we're going to actually really, really just stand back and let God be God. So bring your baseball bats, bring your crash helmets, and we'll just see what God's... Today, uh, we are going to say, answer the question, what does God want from me? Okay? And the shack is a story of evil and redemption. It powerfully portrays the sheer horror of a particular human failure with the tragic murder of Missy and God's power to change any situation no matter how bad it is. No doubt most people today are not even sure what sin is or what evil is or what even the term salvation means. And there's little agreement. And even churches seem to be confused as well. Yeah? Yeah. So I want to talk to you today about some troubling terms. Evil today is a dirty word. Evil is a very confused word. The term wicked today means good believe it or not. Gay means homosexual. Open relationship means adultery. Love apparently means sex. And so the confusion continues. We live in a strange world, don't we? Even our language is so twisted and distorted. So what is evil apart from lives spelled backwards? President Ronald Reagan spoke about the evil empire and President George W. Bush spoke about the three nations as being the access of evil. N.T. Wright, one of my favourite theologians in his book, Evil and the Justice of God, points out that the modern world, the one that you live in, does not know how to handle evil. We try so hard to ignore evil, and we cannot, but we cannot live honestly in this world without recognising that evil exists. If you want to believe that, we just want to believe everything's just peachy, don't we? Everything's okay, and if there's a problem, it's just a little problem. And with a little bit more education, a little bit more medication, we'll actually be okay. (laughs) That's the arrogance of humanism. It's the myth that we're getting better and progress is going to make everything all right. 
Well, I don't know if that's the truth. Certainly not what the Bible says. But people often who don't understand the teachings of the Bible think that we are basically good and that the world is kind and fair. If you still believe that, I don't think you've lived enough life and you've certainly not been to the shack. The Bible together with Mac from the shack cries out, No! The world screams out in horror and pain. Evil is here and evil has got to be addressed. So when evil happens, guess what? We are shocked by it. Because we actually don't think it's the norm. We're shocked. And when it happens, we overreact. Obviously, the attack on the uh, World Trade Center on September 11 was an incredible act. But I think bombing the life out of another country um, and 350,000 innocent uh, people died in that process is an overreaction. I can't probably say it better than what Billy Graham's daughter did when she was interviewed on the early show by Jay Gleason. And she was asked, how could God let something like this happen? I can't say it any better, so if your permission, I'll quote Anne Lottie Graham. This is what she said. I believe as God, God is deeply saddened by this, just as we are. But for years, we've been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of our government, and to get out of our lives. And being the gentleman he is, I believe that he has calmly backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessing and protection if we demand he leave us alone? In light of these recent uh, terrorist attacks, school uh, shootings, etc., you know, I think it started with Madeleine Murray O'Hare. You know, she was murdered and her body was just found recently. She complained that she didn't want prayer in our schools. And we said, okay. Then one said, then someone said, well, you better not even read the Bible in school. And we said, okay. The Bible, however, says, thou shalt not kill. And thou shalt not steal. And you should love your neighbour as yourself. But we said, okay. Then Dr. Benjamin Spock said that we shouldn't spank our children because they misbehave because their little personalities would be warped and we might damage their self-esteem. But of course, sadly, Dr. Spock's own son committed suicide. And when we said an expert should know what he's talking about, and we said, okay. Then someone said the teachers and the principals better not discipline our children when they misbehave. And the school administrator said no faculty member in the school better touch a student because they might misbehave and we don't want bad publicity and we surely don't want to be sued. And of course, we know there's a big difference between discipline and abusing someone. And we said, okay. Then someone said, let's let her have, let's, let's let our daughters have abortions if they want. And they don't even have to tell their parents. And we said, okay. And then the wise school board member said, since boys will be boys, they're going to do it anyway. Let's give our sons all the condoms that they want so they can have all the fun that they want. And we said, okay. Then some of our top elected officials said it doesn't matter what we do in private so long as we do our jobs. Agreeing with them, we said it doesn't matter to me as long as you do your job, what you do in private, as long as I have a job and the economy is good. And we said, okay. Then, including the president. Uh, And then we said that uh, let's print magazines of pictures of nude women and call it wholesome, down-to-earth appreciation for the beauty of the female body. 
And we said, okay, then someone else took this appreciation a step further and published pictures of nude children and then went further back and putting them on the internet. And we said, okay, they're entitled to free speech. Then the entertainment industry said, let's make TV shows and movies that actively promote profanity, violence, illicit sex. Let's record music that encourages rapes, drugs, murder, suicide and satanic themes. And we just called it entertainment. It has no effect. Nobody takes it seriously, so go right on ahead. And now we're asking ourselves why our children have no conscience, why they don't know right from wrong, why it doesn't bother them to kill strangers, their classmates and themselves. Probably, if we think long and hard enough, we can figure it out. I think it's got a great deal to do with what we reap is what we sow. Funny how simple it is for people to trash God and then wonder why the world's going to hell. Funny how we believe what the newspapers say but question what the Bible says. Brilliant, wasn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Psychologist and author uh, M. Scott Beck recovered the word evil for use among educated Western people. This man is a psychiatrist and a clinical psychologist And in his book, People of the Lie, Beck relates of his own encounters with something that he could not find listed in the Diagnostic Standard Manual of Mental Disorders, the standard manual used by psychiatrists and psychologists. He called this disturbing phenomenon he encountered as evil. And it caused such a stir amongst his peers who wanted to believe that evil is just some sort of a social construct or some damaged capacity. But Peck insisted that some people's behaviour is so damaged and so bad, it can only be described as wrong, as evil. He believes that evil comes from humans who will not face their own sadness. Sin and salvation are equally troublesome terms in today's world. We don't like those words. Living in sin is actually living with your partner, isn't it? The government will actually recognise that. Isn't sin just ignorance? Can't we just do away with it? A little bit more social engineering. Can we give people enough medication and education and money? Then we'll all be healthy and fit, members of society. That's what we're trying to tell everybody. Surely all we need is love, freedom and money. And then everyone will live happily ever after. But hey, that was always a fairy tale ending. Salvation as a word brings up images of tent revivals, street corner preachers, door-to-door evangelists and shouting men in expensive suits on Christian TV who promise you miracles in exchange for your donation. Jesus saves is a foreign idea to the average person. We've lost its primary meaning. People make a joke of it. Jesus saves was probably the only one who can in this economy. Jesus saves, I spend. We make a joke out of it. We've lost its primary meaning, which is it's God's way of releasing lawbreakers from the eternal death sentence. What are we saved from? Yes, we are saved from ourselves, absolutely. Yes, we are saved from hurt. Yes, absolutely. Yes, we're saved from death. Yes, absolutely. But ultimately, we are saved from God. God is crossed with sin. 
He has a problem with rebellions. And yes, he's made a way open for us to avoid that penalty. But when we say you are saved, we are saved actually from God and his justice. That's not well understood these days. Evil has been described as the absence of God. And the shack attempts to explain evil in the same way that Augustine of Hippo and Gregor of Nicaea and many great Christian scholars have done through the centuries. God is love, but love by nature cannot enforce itself or press itself on another. That is rape. That is abuse. Humans have the power. It's an amazing. This could blow your head if you get it. You have the power to say no to God. Isn't that shocking, staggering, mind-splitting that you... A little worm. Actually, I'll call, sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. That me, a little worm, can actually say to the creator of the universe, no, I don't want you. And he will obey. He will comply. Evil is the result of sin, and sin is the result of the human defection from the rule of God. We are traitors, like Frankenstein. Yet we were a better creation. We have turned on our creator. We as rebels do not want to submit. We're into King Mike. Not King Jesus. It's the human habit of trying to live independently of God. It's the universal problem. And there is no sense to it. It's irrational and it's stupid. We have become hopelessly addicted to self-rule instead of God's rule. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the fact that we are dead. We're not going to be dead. We're not were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We are not a man drowning who's got some ability to wave out his arms, say, God, please save me. We are drowned. Our lungs are full of water. We are gone. We are off the map. The Bible teaches that outside of Christ, you are Spiritually dead. There are people here today that when I'm talking now, things are going on in your spirit. It's like neon lights. There's witness. There's things going on. And life's coming to you because you're getting the bread. And other people sitting there, and it's just words. It's just going over you. And you've got no idea what I'm talking about. That is the nature of this. Unless you're spiritually alive. And so it's not a case of me throwing out a, a, a... a rope to you today and saying, please grab hold of the rope so that I can pull you in. The truth is, unless God brings life to you, you have no way of reaching out for that rope. God does it all. It's an amazing thing in his grace. We are children of disobedience. Did any parent here ever have to teach your child to be naughty? I never had to teach my children to lie. Never had to teach them how to... And it's not like, you know, we're role modelling how to steal biscuits and those sorts of things. They do it naturally. The Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath. We are children. That's our nature. We are not sweet little innocent kids. But we're all infected with the disease of rebellion against our God. Now, the shack's account of salvation is essentially heartwarming and emphasizes the Bible truth that Jesus has made a way possible 
for rebels to be brought back into relationship with God. Essentially, Jesus paid the price for our failure. And as a result of this, an amnesty has been declared and all people have to do to get saved is to claim it. And all this is correct. However, I need to emphasize that the shack omits an important part of the equation of what it means to go from death to life. What's missing? Well, it's the idea that the Bible theologians call regeneration. Or to use Bible language, it's the idea of being born again, being born anew by the Spirit of God. You've heard me say it before, but the good news of Jesus Christ is that you get a wonderful fresh start in Jesus, that you can be born once, but you die forever. Or if you like another way to put it, here is divine mathematics, born once, die twice. Sorry, put my false in. Born once, die twice. This side, say born once. This side, die twice. Because in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, it says that those who know the Lamb will be spared from the second death. So we will all, none of us get out of this thing alive, guys. We die once, but there will be a judgment. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, there is another death after that. But here's the good news. You can be born twice. Say born twice. And you die once. There you go. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And it's great news, isn't it? But you must be born again. Quoting Jesus, it's in red letters. You must be born again. Unless you're spiritually born again, you will not be spared. So the Bible is clear that the sinner needs more than just forgiveness. The sinner also needs transformation by the Spirit of God living within them. If anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old has passed away. All things have become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Nicodemus, chapter 3, verse 1 of John's Gospel, it says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Bright man, Nicodemus. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I tell you the absolute truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. Will all the humans put your hand up here today? Will all the aliens put up your hands, okay? (laughs) All the humans, you got here because of mum and dad, there was no TV, and look what happened. You're here. But there's something inside of you, a spirit that comes from God. Humans can only reproduce human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. 
And just as you hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are the most respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you of what we know and what we've seen, but how will you believe us of things in heaven that I have seen? No one has ever gone into heaven and returned except for the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent on the pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him is already being judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. But, People love the darkness. People love the darkness. People love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. So I agree with the author of the shack in saying that God wants to restore relationship with us. However, he also wants to change us. He loves us enough not to leave us the way he found us. He loves us enough to accept us as we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us the way that we are. Friends, I'm not what I should be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but I praise God, I'm not what I used to be. God changes us. So we have to acknowledge the fact that we are spiritually sick without God, and we need a divine blood transfusion. The Christian life is a changed life. I wish that just sent electric shock through your body. I want to say it again, church, did you hear me? A Christian life is a changed life. A Christian life is a changed life. Not a perfect life, but a changed life. A Christian life is a transformed life. A Christian life is a new life. A Christian life is holy, separate, distinct, and different from worldlings. Apologies to any worldlings present. The Bible is clear. Praying does not make you a Christian. The pagans pray more. And think through much prayer, their prayers will be heard. The Bible says that going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Hypocrites do that. Going to Disneyland doesn't make you Mickey Mouse. Going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Going to the grass doesn't make you a mini minor. Going to church does not make you a Christian. Reading the Bible does not make you a Christian. Atheists do that. Being a good person doesn't make you a Christian. The Dalai Lama does that. The Bible says, 1 John 3, anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. As a lifestyle, we will stumble, but as lifestyle, 
Anyone who lives in Jesus will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning then obviously does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. He's making it really simple for Mike. You know, Mike's a learner? No, he's a learner. Making it really simple. Which one? It's that one, isn't it? Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you. Here's how difficult this is. People who do what's right, it shows that they know God. It's a shock, isn't it? (laughs) And, here we go, people that keep on sinning don't know God. Oh, (laughs) that is so deep. That went straight over our heads, isn't it? It's amazing, isn't it? But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make it a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. It's not hard, is it? Anyone who does not live right and does not love the other believers does not belong to God. I Look, if I said that, you could sack me. True. The board would have every right to be upset with my doctrine and say, Mike, you just, you just blew it then. You were too extreme, whatever. I'm sorry that came from the Bible, that bit. <laughs> so every church is made up of three types, three types of believers. Okay? There are true believers... Make believers and false believers. True believers are those who show the growing life and the love of God in their lives. There is difference occurring. I hope I'm more like Christ than what I was when I first got saved some 30 odd years ago. I hope there's some demonstration that God is still dealing with this very flawed, failed character. There's something on my life that says Mike's still changing. Yes, he's getting bigger, I know, but nevertheless. I'm working on that one as well. That's true belief. And true believers will often have an area where they're struggling with sin, but in their heart, it breaks them. It destroys, it, it, there's the wrestle going on. God, take this from me. But the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. But at least he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> you understand? There's a dynamic, he doesn't want to do it. So that's the true belief. Now, make-believers are pretending to be sold out for God, but secretly have their options open. They're, they're present for wrong motives, such as finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or perhaps because they're lonely, because they want to sell Amway. But they're here in every church. And then there are false believers. And I feel for these folk because they actually think they're saved. They learn the language of church. They learn when to put their hands up in the air, you know, when the pastor's looking at you, you know. <laughs> Don't go there, Mike. Don't go there. I was going to say. They learn the language. They learn what to do. But if you watch their life, there is no change. There is no transformation. And when you put them under pressure, they behave just like anyone else. I called up a good friend of mine uh, on Friday. Uh, we don't see a lot of each other. He, he came from the first church I pastored, and so we're now in different worlds. But he's, uh, 
He's a master mechanic. He's been working on cool and iron for quite a number of years. And the mining industry is going through massive shutdowns. And so he was in a situation where he's a mechanic and his boss came and they sacked everybody uh, overnight. About 300 workers. And, you know, he's got a lifestyle associated for all of that. The thing I love about this brother, he's just for real. He's the real deal. You, you know, you've got a few brothers and sisters like that, and you're just the real deal. And so what do most people do when that happens? They go into panic. You know, it's horrible. We've got mortgages, all these sorts of things. What he does, he goes into his room, he gets his Bible out, he puts his Bible down. I wouldn't do this because I'd probably break my Bible. And he kneels down on the Bible like this. And he says, Lord, I trust you. You've been faithful my whole life. You've never let me down. You will take care of this. And peace floods into his heart. And there's joy and he gets up. And because you've got 300 other people going around like headless chooks, you know. It's all going crazy. So God's in control. There's no problems, whatever. Anyway, with the shutting down the plant, there had to be... Um, there was an office job where he was going to be uh, was a project planner. He's a mechanic. So there was one job left that's going to be involved with the shutdown. There's a promotion. So he just goes to his boss and says, can I apply for the job? He says, well, you know, David, you could, but, you know, you're a mechanic. He says, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll just go. Goes to the job interview and he says, without a lie, he says, do you know Optimara or some sort of uh, program? No, I don't know that. Can you do project management? No, I can't do that. Do you know computers? No, I don't know that. Have you had any experience? No, I had no experience. And there's three other people. One's got a master's degree in this stuff, applying for the job. He gets the job. <laughs> Been promoted. And people come to him all the time asking for advice and stuff. He's only one lesson in front of anybody else, you know. But you see, the response was Christ-like. In his heart came out love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of David, not the fruit of the flesh. There had been transformation in this man's life and it comes out under pressure. So here's the two poles of error that the church wrestles with. One side is the, is the church that wants to make God all about rules and religion and routine. And if you can just keep the rules, you're going to be okay. And, you know, we start off with 12 commandments and we end that up with the 613 commandments of the uh, Talmud and we can add that out and it just keeps on going. And Christians and Pentecostals can be just as prone to rule-keeping and legalism as anybody else. And that side's got an angry God and somehow you've got to deal with his disapproval of you. That is one error. That's one pole of the error. But the other side of it is where now we've got people saying, God is just all love and you can do what you like and everybody's going to get saved because no loving God could ever send you to a place called hell. That's the other extreme. Rob Bell, love finally wins, these sorts of things. Well, the truth is, it's a little bit in the middle. It's the miracle of the new birth. You must be, you must be, And this is the miracle of the new birth. It is a gift. It is available. And it's more than a decision. Putting your hand up. It's more than being sorry. It's more than wanting your life to be better. It is new birth. 
New Ages today can charge you a thousand to five thousand dollars to put you through a rebirthing seminar. And they'll actually create a new womb for you to come out of. And they've got all these people pulling you through it all. And everybody sings Kumbaya and you come out and stuff. It's meant to revolutionise your life. Only cost you a thousand dollars. The good news is here today, you can get born again. You can be regenerate. You can have a new birth. You can have a new start today for free. Because Jesus paid the cost. He paid the bill. Isn't he good? So today, I want to ask you, even 2,000 years ago, Paul wrestled the same thing. 1 John says, But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan, but a birth that comes from God. Are you born again? If you've been coming to church for a long time, the risk is that you're even deaf to me asking that. But it's a serious question. The Apostle Paul said it 2,000 years ago, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Christ is among you, and if not, you failed the test of genuine faith. You must be born again. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaks about the metaphor of God being the shepherd and we being the sheep. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. I'm closing now. Closing now. But are you aware of the voice of God in your life? Is there that sound at times, those words that you know God is talking to you. It's incredibly important that in there you've got a witness that you can hear the voice of God. Incredibly important. Because without that, you may not be born again. So to hear the voice is very important. But the next step then is, are you following the voice? Because the Bible says they hear my voice and they follow me. Unless you can actually say, I have this voice sometimes that comes and interrupts my train of thinking, my craziness, my chaos. He comes and he talks with me. And then my response is to say, Lord, I want to follow. I want to walk on water. I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to change that habit. I want to address that issue. I want to say, ask my brother for forgiveness. You know, whatever it may be, there should be the voice of God in your life. And there should be the fellowship listening to that voice. You must be born again. So, Father, I thank you. I've just gone a few extra minutes. I appreciate you being patient today. We've had a big service. I've preached my heart out today. And I hope that you've heard that God does want a relationship with you, but a transformed life is so important to what this thing is that we call. Christian faith. And uh, Ravi's just going to come now and just talk to you about that. Steve, you could come up. What a wonderful message from Pastor Mike. 
Um, it's a bit. It's, it's quite awesome to come out here after a message like that when we just get what God's done for us put in front of us, and it doesn't really matter who does the altar call. I think Mike was flowing beautifully then, but um, what we do have is an opportunity to come before the Lord and just ask Him to fill us and to be the, the King of our lives. So instead of being King us, it's King Jesus in charge. And if we have a situation where we've been coming for a while and perhaps we're not sure that we're hearing the voice of God clearly in our life, maybe this is the opportunity we need there's others who may not be Christians yet and might think this is perfect for me well we're going to do that right now I'll pray first and then um, we'll give you an opportunity to respond Thank you, Jesus. and ask the Lord to come and fill you Heavenly Father Lord I thank you for your presence that's so powerful here today Lord Father I thank you for all my brothers and sisters who are here, Lord, you know every one of us. You know the issues we're dealing with and everything that we've gone through to this point in time. Lord, I pray right now that you set us free to respond to you completely, Lord. Father, open our ears to hear your call to us, Lord, and prepare our hearts to receive you as we respond, my Lord. Thank you, Father God. Is anyone here whose answer to Jesus now is, yes, I want to make you king of my life and I'd like to be filled with your spirit and hear you lead me. And you're doing that for the first time or you need to redo that to make it real. Would you raise your hand now, please? I see a hand, brother. Jesus. Anyone else? Jesus. Thank you. You, Lord Jesus. All right, you can put your hand down. Um, we'll just pray now, um, and we'll ask the Lord to fill us. Thank you, Lord. Uh, could you just follow me in that prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I ask you to come into my life and fill my life, my Lord. Father, I turn from all those things that I've done that you know are wrong. I ask for the blood of the Lamb to cleanse me of all my sin. Jesus, I am yours. Be my God and be my King. Jesus, I am yours. Be my God. Be my King. Amen. 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 Well, let's give the Lord a praise. It's fantastic. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you are struggling with an unchanged life today, then please don't leave without coming forward for prayer. But we're going to dismiss you as a congregation. I do apologize. We've gone a little bit late today. But I'd love to close with a song of celebration. So let's get our fantastic team up. And uh, Crystal, you can choose a happy song. <laughs> Thank you, Lord.
Don't forget, we've got African meals. Apparently, there's no missionary on the menu, though. Sorry. Ready to go?